All right, anyways, we're all settled in, right? Let's bow our heads, let's pray together. Lord God, we come before you, we thank you again. We thank you for the rain, we thank you for the cool weather, the sunshine, the blue skies. We thank you for this place that we can come together and worship you. We can come together and hear from you, Lord God. And Lord, we set this time aside for you. May we praise you. May we give you our ears, our hearts, our minds, and may your Holy Spirit speak to us now as we get into your word, Lord. And we ask for your blessing now. We thank you, Jesus, in your name. Amen. All right, so we're going to start off by playing a little bit of word association. You guys know what word association is, right? If I say something, a word or something, you kind of think of what comes to mind. We're going to do a little word association. And when you think of high quality or a company with, you know, you have a, gives you a positive feeling, what comes to mind? Okay, so if I was to ask you, like, who has the best cars? What brand com- or company comes to mind? All right, best cars. Not a lot of sentiment here, I guess. You're, you're, you're confused or you don't know, all right? I don't know what you think of. When you think of best phones, amen. <laughs> Those who are watching or online or stuff, they have no idea what was said. You know, Samsung, right? When you think of different companies, the best or customer satisfaction, what comes to mind? Last year, they did a top 100. They, they polled 40,000 Americans. I don't know if that's a lot of people, but they, they polled people on major brands, and they rated it based on customer satisfaction. And of the top 100, there was a top 10. Interested in know what the top, top companies or top brands were? Number 10 was Amazon. Number 9 was Costco. Number 8 was Tesla. Number 7 was Pfizer. I guess, you know, that's understandable with the pandemic and everything. Number six was Chewy. I guess if you have dogs, that, that, that you can identify with that. Number five was SpaceX. Number four was Chick-fil-A. Number three was Moderna. Number two was Honda. Any Honda people? Yes, Honda people. And then number one was Patagonia. Never heard of it. I guess it's a clothing brand. Obviously, I don't have any, but I guess people who buy that is very satisfied with that. Of the top 100, the biggest risers of, last, of the past year was Pfizer. They moved up 54 spots, of course, with the, the vaccine and everything like that. They shot up the ranks. And the biggest drop last year was Google, who dropped 36 spots. So kind of interesting. If you want to even just know what brands are on there, you can look for it yourself. I didn't put pictures of it because I didn't want to look like I'm endorsing any of these companies in particular, right? Of the top two food places, the top two food places was, what do you think? Chick-fil-A. Oh, of course, Chick-fil-A. I just said the top ten, huh? Chick-fil-A and In-N-Out. They were the top two food places that was ranked the top 100. Now, this is skewed a bit because it's probably West Coast people, right? Filled the, you know, ranked up the In-N-Out. But In-N-Out was number 17. Chick-fil-A was four. In-N-Out was 17. I say praise the Lord, right? Because they're Christian-owned. So I think that's awesome. I think it's, you know, God moving them up, right? So it's kind of interesting. Now, I, I think about it. It's like, it's true. Like Chick-fil-A does have a tasty chicken sandwich, right? It's pretty good. 
their waffle fries taste nicely, freshly waffled, you know, they're good fries. Their sauces are on point, so I can understand that. And you can't beat a double-double animal style, right? If you're wondering what to order in and out, double-double animal style, that's the way I go double-single, a little less cheese, but anyways, right? Those places are good, they're good food. But you know what, I, and I would, go, I would go there, but you know what, of, as good as their food is for me, it's not their food that gets me coming back. It's not because I enjoy their food so much that I keep going back. You know why I go back to Chick-fil-A and in out as much as I do? It's their customer service. It's their standard. When you think of Chick-fil-A, what's the first thing you think of? Maybe it's the sandwich, right? Chicken sandwich. But what's the second thing you think of? (laughs) Someone said the waffle fries, right? The thing I think of most when it comes to Chick-fil-A is my pleasure, right? You've noticed that? When they're workers, when they help you, with a smile, they say, my pleasure. I remember the first time I heard that, I pulled into a Chick-fil-A, and they said, my pleasure, I did a double take. I'm like, what? I wasn't used to hearing that. You usually don't hear that at a fast food place with a smile to say, my pleasure. Usually it's like, thank you, pull up to the next window, right? They're known for their customer service. They're known for their friendly service. They, they greet you with a smile. And whether they feel like it or not, they convince you that it really is their pleasure to give you some fries or refill your lemonade, right? It makes a difference. I don't know about you, it makes a difference for me. I was going to tell you a quick story. Don't have a story. All right, don't have time. But customer service is a big deal for me at least. And you see other places try to do that. Why do they try to do that more? Because reputation matters, right? The reputation matters. Name is significant. The name of an establishment, the name of a person is significant because name communicates reputation. It communicates standard, right? It communicates this expectation or quality. It evokes some, uh, some response and opinion. So when I said Chick-fil-A, you all had some opinion. And most likely, it was something positive. When I said the top 10 list of names of corporations, most likely, it evokes some kind of positive experience or response. Because a name is significant. It automatically brings up opinion. If I was to ask you, What your name evokes. What do people, how do people respond when they hear your name? What would people say? More importantly than that, when you hear the name Jesus, what response do you have? What comes to mind? Sadly, today, you know, and it's been this way for a while, the name Jesus for many people is like a four-letter word, right? That makes me cringe. But people use the name of Jesus like it's some kind of four-letter word. 
So you can imagine Jesus will be very concerned about how his name is represented, right? How his followers represent his name. God is very concerned because his name is sacred. His name is holy. And if you look at scripture, Israel was a representation of the name of God. Israel represented God to the pagan nations, to the unbelieving nations, to the unfaithful nations. The name of the Lord was represented by Israel. And so when Jesus, what we've been looking at in Mark, Jesus is preparing the disciples because they will be the representation of the name of Jesus, which will bring about the church so that the church represents the name of Jesus. So we've been seeing how Jesus is preparing the disciples of how they will represent his name. Now today we're going to look at a passage that is going to seemingly, it's going to seem like there's a lot of random teachings, but we're going to see how these teachings speak of the name of Jesus, how we are to represent his name. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Mark chapter 9. Mark chapter 9. Oops. Mark chapter 9, verse 33, and we'll start it from there. Verse 33, and they came to Capernaum, and when he was in the house, he began to question them. What were you discussing on the way? But they kept silent, for on the way that they had discussed with one another, which of them was the greatest? And sitting down, he called the twelve and said to them, If anyone wants to be first, he shall be last of all and servant of all. So here's the deal. Jesus is traveling with, with his disciples back down to Galilee. And along the way, Jesus had been preparing the disciples for his upcoming suffering. He's been teaching them and telling them, I am going to suffer at the hands of men. I am going to be killed but I will resurrect after the third day. So Jesus had been doing this. But along the way, the disciples had a little bit of a discussion, a debate, an argument. Jesus' focus is on the cross. Jesus' focus is on preparing the disciples for his upcoming suffering. What are the disciples focused on? Who's going to be the greatest? Okay, so which one of us is going to be the greatest disciple, the greatest follower of Christ? That's where their mindset is at. We'll get to more of this later. And taking a child, Jesus set him before them, and taking him in his arms, he said to them, Whoever receives one child like this in my name receives me. And whoever receives me does not receive me, but him who sent me. John said to him, Teacher, we saw someone casting out demons in your name, and we tried to hinder him because he was not following us. But Jesus said, Do not hinder him, for there is no one who shall perform a miracle in my name and be able soon afterward to speak evil of me. For he who is not against us is for us. For whoever gives you a cup of water to drink because of your name as followers of Christ, truly I say to you, he shall not lose his reward. 
And whoever causes one of these little ones who believe to stumble, it will be better for him if he was, if with a heavy millstone hung around his neck, he had been cast into the sea. So here are the disciples. They're concerned about who was going to be the greatest disciple. And Jesus takes the time to teach them a valuable lesson. He takes a young child to his arms, and before the disciples, what does he say to him? Whoever receives one child like this in my name receives me. And whoever receives me does not receive me, but him who sent me. So Jesus right here, just by doing this, he's declaring a radi- making a radical declaration for the day. Children in those days did not bear any social status. Okay? Children were on the bottom of the social ladder, social status ladder. They had no like, significance from a social ladder perspective. They were solely dependent on their children, right? So Jesus is showing the disciples who and what is important in God's eyes, in God's standard, who is important. He's showing who is of value and worth in God's eyes. He takes a small child who in society's perspective wouldn't have much value or worth from a prestige or value level, takes the child before them. Whoever receives a child like this receives me and receives the Father. He goes on and says, And if your hand causes you to stumble, cut it off, for it is better for you to enter life crippled than having your two hands to go into hell into the unquenchable fire, where their worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. And if your foot causes you to stumble, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life lame than having your two feet to be cast into hell. Verse 47, and if your eye causes you to stumble, cast it out. It is better, better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than having two to be cast into hell, where their worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. For everyone will be salted with fire. Salt is good, but if the salt becomes unsalty, with what will you make it salty again? Have salt in yourselves and be at peace with one another. We'll stop there. So here are some teachings of Jesus, and if you kind of look at it, it seems kind of random. Where is Jesus going with each of these stories? Well, there's two themes that we're going to look at that connect these teachings together. The first theme is the theme of name. We started looking at that now. Name, the significance of name. And the second second theme we're going to look at, this theme of stumbling. This word stumbling from the Greek word, which means to cause to stumble, or skandalizo, where we get the word scandal, right, in English. That means to put a stumbling block or an impediment in the way of someone, to entice them to sin, or to cause to fall away, to cause someone to fall away. So we're going to look at these two themes And so we started today's passage with the disciples arguing about who among them is going to be the greatest. Now, can you imagine this scene? The 12 guys, these 12 men debating who's going to be the greatest. How many miracles did you perform that day, right? 
How often does Jesus talk to you? He talks to me every day, right? Can you imagine maybe Peter, James, and John and saying, well, did you go up? Were you chosen to go up to the mountain with Jesus? Oh, that's right. You didn't get to go. It was just us three. That's right. Oh, you know what? Oh, that's right. I'm not supposed to tell you what happened up there. I guess I can't tell you, right? You can imagine these debates that the disciples had. Can you imagine the, the sibling rivalry of Peter and Andrew, right? Peter, James, and John went up the mountain, but Andrew, Peter's brother, didn't get to go up, right? Now what? Now, if you have siblings, right? If you're used to kind of these sibling arguments, can you imagine Peter? Like, oh, Andrew, I'm sorry you weren't chosen. I guess I'm the better child, right? They went up to the mountain. So they're disputing, they're arguing about these things. What are the disciples really arguing about? They're arguing about their name. Their name. They're focused on their name. Whose name is going to be greatest? Is it going to be Peter, John, James, Andrew, Judas? You know, Jesus gave me the money, the money sack. He helped, he gave me to be in charge of the money. I will be the greatest. They're arguing about whose name will be honored above all others. Isn't that what we grow up with, right, as kids, as we're taught? For you to be the greatest, to have your name on the list, number one student, you're ranked number one in your school. Don't we honor that with our students? You have the awards night. Who's the greatest in this department? Who has all these awards? We're so ingrained to think that way about our greatness, our name. Now, even the disciples here, as you're arguing with it, even they realize how ridiculous their argument is, right? Because what happens? Jesus asks them what they're arguing about. What are you discussing among yourselves? Do you remember having a silly argument with a sibling or a friend or something like that? And then your parent comes along and says, hey, what are you arguing about? And you're like, you realize it's a, it's a dumb argument? You're like, uh, nothing, nothing. We're not arguing about anything. There's nothing, no big deal. Even the disciples, they like silence. They're like, oh, Jesus wants to know what we're arguing about, what we're debating about. How does Jesus respond? He says, if anyone wants to be first, he shall be last of all and servant of all. Jesus is challenging our concept of greatness, right? The way we perceive greatness in our life, in our world, and how we were raised or grew up, Jesus is challenging that. And you think about the dangers of how we approach greatness, right? You, I don't think any of us said, you know, I don't want to be great. I just want to be mediocre at best, right? We are raised to think we want to be the greatest as we possibly can. But what are the dangers of that, right? When we pursue greatness, the danger is that we often pursue greatness based on how we can prove our ability, we can prove our greatness through achievement, right? I am the greatest because I am capable of doing these things. I achieved all these things. But when we we set out to prove our greatness by proving our ability, proving our achievement, this often produces what? Pride, doesn't it? 
It develops a sense of pride in us, a sense of self-centeredness in us. We're so focused on ourselves, what we can prove, what we can do, what we can achieve. And then this pride and self-centeredness, what often happens? It leads to what? Self-reliance. Doesn't it lead to self-reliance? When we set out to prove ourselves, we're going to prove to our abilities, we're going to prove our achievement, we get so consumed with ourselves that you know what we do? We trust and we rely upon ourselves. I need to do it. I can do this. I have to prove that I am able to do this. Self-reliance. And then self-reliance often leads to unfaithfulness and a distrust in God. When we rely so much on ourselves, we rely less on God. And even when things do or don't go our way, we, re- we realize, like, you know, I don't need God anymore. I don't need to trust God anymore. Or things aren't happening the way I want to. God, where are you? And you distrust God. See, these are these dangers of looking at greatness from our own perspective to elevate our name in the situation. And what Jesus is teaching the disciples here is that greatness in God's eyes is a product of humility. Contrary to what we think, right? Greatness in God's eyes is a product of humility. Think of all the great people in Scripture. All the people in Scripture, great people that that live great lives for the Lord, they humbled themselves as servants of God of God. And only then when they humbled themselves before God were they able to do great things for the Lord. Think about it. Think about the story of Moses. Moses was a fugitive. He had no interest in making his name great. He didn't want anyone to know his name because he was wanted for murder. But when God called him out, he called him to be a servant. And when Moses humbled himself to be a servant of God, what ended up happening? Moses proved to be perhaps the greatest leader in human history. Think about King David. When he went and fought Goliath, he didn't fight for his name's sake to elevate his name. He fought in the name of the Lord. Last week, we saw about Daniel interpreting Nebuchadnezzar's dream. His motivation wasn't to elevate his name, but he elevated whose? The name of the Lord. See, God's interest is like, look, you humble yourself if you want to see greatness in God's eyes. So all this to say, we honestly, if we want to see greatness in God's eyes, we need to learn to find joy in serving others. In our lives, we need to learn to find joy in serving others. And that might be very contrary, right? Even in the home space, if if you're an older sibling, it will take a lot for you to want to serve your younger sibling. Serve your parents. If you're married... It may take a lot of humility to have a heart to want to serve your spouse. But in God's eyes, greatness requires humility to be servant of all. 
We get some insight again of the disciples' mindset in verse 38. John tells Jesus, Teacher, we saw someone casting out demons in your name, and he's not one of us. He wasn't a follower. He's not part of our exclusive club here, right? Jesus responds. He says, Don't hinder them, for there is no one who shall perform a miracle in my name and be able to soon after speak evil of me. For he who is not against me or against us is for us. Jesus specifically emphasizes here my name. Right? His response, my name. If a miracle is done in my name and is performed, that same power that performs that miracle will not speak against me. And so what Jesus is saying here, he draws the line. He says, you're either for us or you're against us. So he's telling the disciples, look, don't go against somebody who's doing something God's work in my name just because he's not in the circle, right? He says, for whoever gives you a cup of water to drink because of your name as follows of Christ, truly I say to you, he shall not lose his reward. Here's something we need to keep in mind as a church. We are the body of Christ, First and foremost, we are in partnership with other believers. They may not look like us. They may not worship in the same location. But we are in partnership of the body of Christ. If they're for Jesus, if they're working the ministry for the kingdom of God, we are in partnership. We are on the same team. If you played sports, some of you played sports, any of you played sports? You heard the saying, you play for the what name? The name on the front of your jersey, not on the back of your jersey, right? You play for the name in the front of your jersey, not on the back. What does that mean? It means you're not playing for yourselves, right? Your name is usually on the back, but you're playing for who you represent. And as a church, we need to be careful and honest that what we do as a church is for the name of Jesus Christ. Everything we do as a church is representing the name of Jesus, especially when we're thinking about church growth. We want to grow our church. We want to, we want to grow. We want to expand all these ministries. We want to do all these things. We need to be careful that if we desire these things, we're saying, you know what? We want to expand and elevate the name of Jesus. Yes, we want people to know about Generations Church, right? We want people to know that here's a place that they can come, they can worship, they can grow in the Lord, they can learn about God, they can find healing, they can find community, all these things. But it's not to elevate the name of GCLA. It's not to elevate the name of Generations Church. Everything we do so that we can elevate the name of Jesus. That's our sole purpose. And anything we do. Go back and look what Jesus says about children. And taking a child, he set him before them. And taking him in his arms, he said to them, Whoever receives one of these child in my name receives me and receives the Father as well. Jesus teaches us we must value children. But we must remember by whose name we receive this child. Today is the first day. What timing, 
right, of, of the passages. Today's the first day we're reestablishing the children's ministry. Out in the next building, Janet's there and, and helping out with the, the families, the young families, the children. As we start up this children's ministry, we emphasize this is for the name of Jesus. We receive the children in by the name of Jesus. We're presenting these children and their families who Jesus is. We're bringing the name of Jesus into their young lives. That is why we do it. Jesus shows us children are not a lesser priority. Children are not a lesser priority. If you've grown up in the church as I have, you've seen children's ministry is some of the hardest things to build up. They think it's secondary. They think of, well, you watch our kids while we do church. And so many times, children are seen as the lesser priority. And then as they get older, they're a little bit, you know, a little bit, a little bit more. And then when you become an adult, oh, then you're a priority. Uh-uh. Jesus says, children are a priority. And you receive them in my name. We cannot neglect the children. And it's not because we want to grow as a church. It's because they need Jesus. The second theme among these passages is this warning against stumbling, or in other words, from falling away from the faith. Jesus showed how much he values children when he took them into his arms and said, whoever receives one receives me. You bless one of my, my kids, you bless me. But he also says what? You mess with one of my kids, you're messing with me. Parents, dads, moms, you know that feeling, right? Someone messes with your kid, you're messing with me. God says, you bless one of my kids, you bless me. You mess with one of my kids, you're messing with me. He says, he warns them, whoever causes one of these little ones to stumble, these little ones who believe to stumble or to fall away, it would be better for him if he was with a heavy millstone around his neck thrown into the sea. Now that's some serious stuff that Jesus is saying. This is a big warning. He's warning against those like, look, you cause one of my little ones to fall away. It is better that you had previously died before you even get to that point. This should be a very serious warning for us and a very timely warning for us. You look at all around what's going on today in society. There is a great evil going on today. The enemy is manipulating, lying, deceiving, preying upon those who are lost, those who are hurt, those who are confused, those who are lonely, those who have been abused, those who are desperate. And he's preying on the children. You look at what's being attacked today, it's the young children being lied to, being deceived about who they are, about their desires, who, what they should desire to be. We have to be aware that children are being preyed upon, being attacked today. 
And parents, if you don't know how to talk to your children about these things, if you're not able to talk to your children about what they're being taught in school at a young age, in middle school and in high school, then you need to do your homework. If you're not ready to talk to your children about what they're facing, what they're being taught every day, what they're being told in their messaging and everything they see, then you need to prepare. You need to talk to them. How can I help you? What are you hearing? Because the enemy is seizing the young generation today. It's attacking the families today. And if you as a parent are only concerned about your kids' grades, then you're losing your child. You're losing them to the enemy. Jesus continues, I've got to hurry up, wrap up. Jesus continues, if your hand causes you to stumble, cut it off. It's better for you to enter life crippled than having two hands than to go into hell. If your foot causes you to stumble, cut it off. It's better for you to enter lame than having your two feet cast into hell. And if your eye causes you to stumble, cast it out. It's better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than having two eyes and be cast into hell. Now, Jesus is using hyperbole, right, to make a point, but a serious one. What's the warning? It's better for you to have suffered loss in this life and remain faithful to God than to have lived healthy, wealthy, happy, and you fall away from believing. Then you go into hell. Remember, Jesus said, what profit, what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and lose his soul? Now, are we to take what Jesus is saying literally here? Are we to chop off our hands if we're doing something that causes us to sin? Are we to poke out our eyes if, if we're seeing things that's leading us away? Of course not, right? If Jesus was being literal, we would, none of us would be able to see. <laughs> we would all have no eyes. We would all lose our hearing. We would all not be able to speak. We would have no hands. We'd have no feet, right? Jesus, obviously, that's not his point. What's Jesus saying? Whatever you're doing, wherever you're going, if it's causing you to stumble away, if it's distracting you, pulling you away from believing in the Lord, if you, whatever you're doing in your life is keeping you away from the Lord, it's better that you cut it out and you keep believing and you have eternal life than to have whatever you want in this life and it leads you to stumble away from the Lord. We talked about the deceitfulness of pursuing greatness, elevating our name in this life. At what expense? What are you willing to exchange for eternal glory with the Lord in this life? What is so pleasurable in this life that you're willing to do that if it draws you away from the Lord. Let me skip with this. Some things to marinate over to what to think about. Here's what we need to think about in this passage. One thing. Who do you represent? Whose name do you represent? Are you living to elevate your name in this life? 
I want to, everyone to know the name of Mike, the name of Generations, the name of Sally. There's no Sally here, so I'm going to just use the name Sally. Are you living to represent your name or you're here to represent the Lord? What master do you serve? Any of you watch that movie, Avengers Affinity War? Remember that little scene? Right, the little comical scene, the actor Chris Pratt, he had this little line where uh, Dr. Strange asked him, whose master do you serve? And what's his response? What am I supposed to say, Jesus? Remember that line? You know why, what makes that comical? Because Chris Pratt became to profess his Christian faith in public, and he got a lot of heat for it at the time. So that line is supposed to be kind of like a comedic irony of of what he was facing. But that line truly represents what we're battling. Whose master do you serve? Whose name are you representing in your life? We have to know and realize how we answer that. What greater honor is there than representing the name of Jesus? If you all got a job at SpaceX or Tesla or Honda or whatever company that had the highest uh, reputation, you would feel proud. Do we proudly represent the name of Christ? And the second thing, how are you representing the name of Jesus? Are you representing the standard, the honor, the majesty that is due the name of Jesus? How are you influencing others? Are you causing others to stumble and fall away from the faith because of the decisions you are making? We have to take that seriously. Are you causing other people to fall away from the faith? Parents, that includes your, your, your kids. That includes your spouse. That includes your siblings. That includes your coworkers. Right? Are you easily stumbled? Are you finding yourselves falling away from the Lord because of whatever you're pursuing or whatever you're doing? If something is drawing you away from the Lord, you need to cut it cut it out. It's better that you don't have that than you go into judgment before the Lord. I'll use this, I'll close with this analogy. This might be a painful analogy for some of you. Henry mentioned last week uh, for you Dodgers fans. I'm sorry to kind of unearth this painful memory here. The Dodgers lost 5-3. When I checked in, I'm not emotionally attached to the Dodgers. So when I checked in the score, Dodgers were up 3-0 in the seventh inning. I didn't watch it because I knew I was going to, I knew what might happen. But if you were a Dodgers fan, you may have looked at the score in the seventh inning. Oh, 3-0, great. You may have felt good about it. Seventh inning, no problem. You might have turned it off. But what ended up happening? Dodgers lost. Last two innings, Padres came back. Game wasn't over in the seventh inning. What am I going? Where am I going with that? So many people are living as if it's the seventh inning. You're living your life. You have all this pleasure. You're having all these things. You feel like life is good. I'm living for myself. It's all good. Game over. But the reality is, it doesn't end there. It doesn't end there. And there's a reckoning that's going to take place. So many people are living for their lives here in the now. 
I need to make my name great while I can. I need to get all these things while I can. And they're, ne- they're neglecting the name above all names. Who they really represent in Jesus Christ. Whose name do you represent? And how are you representing his name? Let's bow our heads and let's pray. Lord God, we come before you. Lord, you call us to do things that are very contrary to society today. To value differently than the world does. To see each other differently. And you call us to live to exalt your name above our own. You even call us to elevate other people before ourselves. We're thankful, Lord, that it's your Holy Spirit that does that in us. You change us. You mold us and you shape us, Lord. Help us, Lord, individually and as a church to say, Lord, we want to elevate your name above all names. The name of Jesus before my own name. The name of Jesus before my family's name. The name of Jesus before anyone I work for or cheer for. It's your name, Lord God. We thank you, Jesus, and lift us to you in your name. Amen. Let's stand and let's worship together.